You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another week of Locked On Vikings. I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can always find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. You can always find this show anywhere you find your favorite podcasts like Spotify, Podbean, Himalaya, Stitcher, what have you. And if you don't like any of those services or if you are somebody who listens to this show on your commute and you don't want to have to pull up an app every time, you can always just ask your smart device like Google Home or Siri or whatever. Play podcast Locked On Vikings. And today we get to talk about a victory, an exhibition victory, mind you, but a victory nonetheless. The Vikings took down the Seahawks at U.S. Bank Stadium 25-19 to was the final score there, and there is a whole bunch to go over. So let us begin with the beginning of the game and the first team offense, because there is quite a bit to talk about, some good, some bad. And I think for me, the most striking thing and where I'll start is Pat Elfline. Pat Elfline had a, a no good, very bad night. Puna Ford ate his lunch all day up and down the field. Uh, I, I am going to do, for all of these things, I'm going to do a rewatch uh, before I do tomorrow's show so that I can get a little bit more uh, exact takes on all of these things. Full disclosure, I had to be on a work shift during this game, so I could only ever really have one eye on it. So there's a lot of stuff that I want to like double check, and I'll make sure to issue some corrections and stuff if they come up. Uh, but one thing I'm pretty darn sure about is that Pat Elfline had a really, really rough night, especially some of the worst reps that I saw were on the very long 34-yard Adam Thielen completion. Kirk launched it pretty fast, so this didn't end up affecting the play, but he got turfed. He got put all the way on the ground by a three-technique defensive tackle, and that is very bad. Left guards should be able to at least stalemate that matchup when it happens. They, they have to, because usually the nose tackle is getting doubled. He overran one of his blocks, he, he abandoned the gap and allowed a tackle for loss. Uh, he got just absolutely turnstiled on the third and very, very long where that, that first drive stalled out. Uh, he was one of the culprits on that one. He just had a whole bunch of really, really bad lowlights. But that first drive really started out pretty crispy, and, and it's worth talking about that it looked like things were going pretty well. The run game looks suspect, but I had counted only a couple of mistakes, and most of them were like just Elfline, like it is really like just him on some of these plays. And so it makes you wonder, like, is this going to translate into the regular season? And my answer to that is obviously. It, of course, it's going to translate into the regular season. I think Pat Elfline is just going to struggle. And I think his strength issues never really came, away, came up. I think the injury that he suffered in the NFC Championship game kind of stunted his growth. And that's something that it would take a lot of time to come back from, not just one offseason. But I think we're looking at something that would take more than one offseason. And I just, in the NFL, you just don't get that kind of time. Now, I want to be careful to not, like, overreact to a single preseason game. It's not like he's going to be, like, this horrible. It's not like he's going to be like Compton or Remmers were last year. I think he'll still be better than that. But the strength issues that have plagued him throughout his entire football playing career... Looks like that's not going to go away anytime soon. So the Vikings drove down the field pretty well when they first got the ball, uh, and, and they managed to kind of move the ball until the drive really, really stalled out. And that started with a botched screen uh, where it just looked like the timing was off. Uh, Kirk Cousins overthrew Alexander Madison. He couldn't haul it in, and, and it's unfortunate because the play call really worked. They were playing a very soft coverage. There was nobody in front of Alexander Madison, 
and he could have either stayed behind his blockers and, you know, tried to make a real big play out of it or just torch the blockers and see how much grass you can chew up before you get tackled. Either way, it would have been a huge gain, but it fell incomplete, and it looked like an issue of spacing and timing. Uh, I, I think that, like, Kirk Cousins missed the throw, and I think he probably could have put a better ball out there, but it was a really tough throw, so I'm not, like, too bothered by it. I think Alexander Madison has to get deeper or the offensive line needs to go out wider so that Madison can go wider uh, and just give Kirk a little bit more room to make that throw. It was just he needed to get a little too high and a little too short for that to be an easy throw and so he, he sailed it just a little bit. Or Kirk can just hold the ball a little longer and he'll probably take a hit doing that so I don't know if that's like the screen design which is why I don't think that that's the answer to this. But whatever it was, you know, the coaches will go back and look at it and see if they can't tweak something to fix that particular play call. I also don't think that that happens with Dalvin Cook. I think Dalvin Cook and Cousins would be on on a a little bit more of like the same page. Uh, So that play led to a second and 10, and the second and 10 was the botched snap. Uh, So I guess we have to talk about Garrett Bradbury's butt sweat now. Uh, If you haven't been following the whole thing, there's been a whole storyline about how Garrett Bradbury is a very sweaty guy. And Kirk Cousins mentioned this in a press conference offhandedly as kind of a joke, and now it's become a whole thing. So a botched snap because the ball is slippery with butt sweat is maybe something that we have witnessed now all together as a family. Or maybe it was just a botched snap because you have a rookie center and and you're still kind of getting things under wraps. Either way, something that you definitely want to figure out how to clean up before regular season play starts because that kind of thing is not going to be acceptable during the regular season. And then that left you with a third and mega long. Pat Elfline got absolutely destroyed, and I think uh, Klein and Bradbury lost their double team as well. Kirk Cousins had to bail out of the pocket immediately. The play was totally broken, and all he could do was throw it away. So the next drive, which was enabled by uh, that long Adam Thielen completion, I think if there's any play to be excited about, that's the play, because it's something that Kirk Cousins is good for one or two of those a game, and Thielen and Diggs can always bring those in. I mean, it's just this unbelievable connection. It's amazing how consistently those guys can win one-on-one matchups. If the cornerback gives them inside leverage, it's just like over. It's death. It's also probably really important that that uh, offensive pass interference was upheld. Uh, The call on the field was upheld. So uh, Pete Carroll tried to challenge Adam Thielen's technique. He has, it's a little bit of a push off, but it's not a forcible one. The arm doesn't fully extend. And that's usually what the refs use to uh, call offensive pass interference is like if the elbow is all the way extended and Thielen never does that, but he does use it to kind of like gain a little bit of space. Um, I think it's a completely legal move and it was upheld correctly. But as Adam Thielen, he mentioned after the game that he actually went over to Pete Carroll and told him like, listen, if this is OPI, I'm retiring because I will not be able to play with if I can't use that move. It's a really important move to his game. And it's how he gets that last little bit of separation all the time and gets all those amazing catches. We saw it a ton for the last like three years. And then they go to him again. And this time it's a DPI. There's a little arm hook. So they get uh, set up like right at the goal line and then the drive stalls out. And I'm a lot more frustrated with this one. First off, you had that cut block, uh, that, that clipping penalty on Kyle Rudolph. That's something that you're definitely going to have to get squared away. It's just being used to being in Kubiak's scheme. There's certain places on the field where you can and can't do a, a diving chop block. So that's a 15 yard penalty. And that brought us eventually to a third down 
and goal from like the 10 or 11, somewhere around there, after a first and 21 run, which is atrocious. It's a really, really bad play call. I don't really ever think a run can get you enough yards from first and 21 to give you like a good shot at a touchdown. Uh, but so but by third down, uh, the, the play was breaking down. Uh, pressure had come through. I think it was against Elfline again. And Kirk Cousins did the throw that bothers me quite a bit where he threw it to Diggs, even though Diggs was not open and had very little chance of actually getting to the end zone. Uh, so throwing that ball, really all you're doing is risking an interception because throwing it into the dirt and that would leave you, you know, on the 10 yard line versus throwing it to Diggs where he catches it and you're on the five, like either way, it's a chip shot field goal. And if you don't have a chance at a touchdown, like you might as well have just like thrown the ball away, throw it at the crossbar or whatever. But because Kirk Cousins sees that he can complete the pass, he throws it, not really thinking about what kind of aftercatch potential there is. And that's something that has plagued Kirk Cousins throughout his whole career. It plagued him throughout last year. It's just something that's always going to be annoying that we always have to deal with. So there's a lot more like overall stuff that I want to get to and the whole rest of the roster and the depth stuff and the rest of the game. There's a ton to talk about. But first, I do have to shout out the sponsor for today's show, BlueChew.com. Fellas, intimacy is very important in any relationship. And if your body can't keep up anymore, there's no reason to let that get in the way of you and your partner keeping a healthy relationship. So go check out bluechew.com. That's blue, like the color blue, chew.com. It's the first chewable tablet of its kind, and it uses the same FDA-approved ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know exactly what you're getting into, but it's a chewable tablet, so it kicks in twice as fast. So when the moment's right, you're ready that much faster. It's made in the United States and there's no pharmacy, so it's cheaper and they can ship directly to your door in a nice discreet package so there's no awkwardness. And Blue Chew is not just for like men of a certain age who can't perform the way that they used to in their glory days. You can be perfectly healthy and maybe just want a little boost. Blue Chew might be right for you. So check out bluechew.com, B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com. And as always, we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. All right, so the last note on the first team offense is more of an overall note, but it's something that really struck me with the first team offense. And I wanted to end with them on, on something a little bit more positive. Holy crap, these guys can run a fake. They can sell a play fake. Seattle was biting on it so hard on just about every rollout. Even the second and third teams were pretty good at it. But the first team was really, really, really selling them and and buying Kirk a ton of time. And I love that, especially when you have troubles along the offensive line, like the Vikings pretty much always will. Play action is a little bit of an art. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. You can't just run a play fake and expect people to fall for it. You have to sell it. And the offensive line especially does a great job of selling play action. And, I mean, that really, you if you fake them into running the wrong direction, you've won your block before you even touch them. It's a great way to mitigate offensive line deficiencies if you can sell that fake. And Kirk Cousins has always been good at selling the fake, you know, the tight ends are good at selling the fake the running backs are good at selling the fake they're just good at this and this is i think what you this is what you paid for with gary kubiak you didn't really pay anything for kubiak you just got him which is great but this is the kind of thing that you can expect him to improve your team on and they did a really good job they've always been pretty good at it the vikings have been pretty good at a play fake but it was phenomenal and and something that will absolutely pay dividends throughout the regular season so let's move on to the defense the first team defense uh basically let seattle drive down the field and they really looked like they were struggling. But if you listen to my preview, I kind of predicted this. So the edge rushers were playing very, very conservatively. They played that proper contain, and Russell Wilson never broke the pocket. I think he actually ran outside once, and he got like eight yards. But they actually did keep him contained. Now, they didn't get the interior pressure to make that pay off, so you really just let Russell Wilson sit back there and deal. And maybe you would attack that differently in a regular season game. 
Uh, but the other thing is that the Vikings were playing very soft off coverage. So, you know, basically the receivers could work underneath, they could find holes in these zones, and, and they could basically work from there. That, again, seemed to me like a, you know, play vanilla off coverage so that nobody can get tape on you kind of thing. It's not like the defense needs chemistry reps. Trey Waynes in particular got picked on quite a bit. He has a really bad habit of playing too off all the time, so I really hope that it was something he was being coached to do just for this preseason game, just to not put tape out there, especially against an opponent that you will have to play in the regular season. So all in all, there were definitely some mistakes, and Mike Zimmer even said that there were some busted coverage uh, coverages with the second and third team. So definitely some mistakes. I would like to see Trey Waynes play more press, play up in the receiver's face a lot more. I would anticipate that we see it more in regular season. This is just a preseason thing, so I'm not panicking about it quite yet. But enough about the first team. Let's move on to the second team. And I want to start with Sean Mannion, who actually had a reasonable game. I know he had the pick six. We'll get to that in a second. But I thought that he threw accurately. I thought he threw some pretty difficult throws, and he did them well. Um, but we can't really get past that pick six, right? So that to me, looked like it was actually Chad Beebe's fault. So uh, just to recap, it was a deep crosser, like an intermediate crosser, I think. Uh, and the strategy of those routes is that usually there's a read involved, depending on if it's zone or man, and if there is an outside guy in this zone, or if there isn't, or if he's trailing you, or if he's leading you, there, there's usually a read. I don't know what that read is, but usually there's some kind of read that essentially gives that, it's like kind of an option, but it's not like they can do whatever they want. It's They're really just reading one thing, and the quarterback and the wide receiver are expected to read the same thing. And when they don't read the same thing, Kyle Sloter, or Sean Mannion, will throw a ball that's leading Chad Beebe. So if Chad Beebe kept running, that ball would have been well-placed, but Chad Beebe sat down on the route. And the way that the defense looked, I think uh, that sitting down on the route was the wrong choice. Again, I don't know what the read was supposed to be, so I can't say that for certain, but it looked like Chad Beebe made the wrong choice and, and Sean Mannion threw directly to the cornerback. It's a very similar situation to the P.J. Williams pick six that Kirk Cousins threw against the Saints last year. And, and Stephon Diggs, you could actually see him after the play, like pointing to himself like that one was on me, and I actually think it was the same mistake or at least a similar one. So I don't blame Mannion too much for that. Uh, and then he he drove down the field the next time very well using a lot of Brandon Zilstra. I thought Brandon Zilstra had a really nice night and kind of put himself uh, a step above that glut of wide receivers. It doesn't take much. And I think that Brandon Zilstra did enough for me to put him in my roster prediction. I think I already had him, but I feel a lot better about it now. We'll uh, go way deep into that later in the week. Interestingly, Laquan Treadwell played throughout the whole game. He got reps with all three units, uh, and of course he didn't really start thriving until he was up against, you know, the future XFL players, uh, which is disappointing, but the, the Vikings were definitely, and, and Mike Zimmer confirmed as much after the, after the game, they were definitely trying to put a bunch of tape out there on him and showcase him either as trade bait or just as kind of a solid for being a draft pick because I, I truly don't think that they're going to keep him on the field or on the roster. Defensively, a couple of quick standouts. I thought uh, Ifadio Denebo had a very disruptive day. He drew a holding penalty and then he got a sack and then I think he got a pressure like later on that same drive. Like he was really, really eating and uh, he even came out in the third quarter. I thought they would sit him. I thought he earned his night off, but he came out and like played against their third team offensive line and just like absolutely wreaked havoc. Uh, I thought Jaron Curse, I mean, he had that series where he blew up like three plays in a row. He had a, a really wonderful day. And I actually thought Armin Watts had another good day, and I thought Jaleel Johnson with the ones really didn't. 
uh, you know, that lack of interior pressure earlier. They were doubling Hercules Mata'afa, and I think Hercules Mata'afa struggled to get any push and penetrate. He had a rough day, but so did Jalen Holmes, and so did uh, Jaleel Johnson. Again, I'm going to go back and confirm all this. I didn't watch them too closely, so I could totally be wrong, and I might rescind it. But it seemed like they had a rough day, and then Armin Watts came in against the twos and really feasted. He was very difficult to move. He penetrated. He was always in the right gap. He was making tackles at the line of scrimmage, and he even got in there for a pressure or two, and that's really good for a nose tackle. I think Armin Watts is pushing Jaleel Johnson, guys, and that, that battle just got a lot more interesting. There was also, of course, a lot of Irv Smith usage. Charles Davis pointed out that they were having him run like wide receiver routes, so I think you can probably count Irv Smith as like wide receiver slash tight end, or you know, call him what you want to call him. They're going to use him as a a very unique weapon, and that'll be really interesting to cover moving forward. Uh, but before I get too much deeper into like more individual performances, real quickly, I want to shout out the Locked On Fantasy Football podcast. There is a Locked On Fantasy podcast, you guys. If you want advice for your draft, for your dynasty league, uh, don't take it from me. I am notoriously horrible at fantasy football. I'm very, very bad at it. Uh, which is hilarious. I mean, like I look so deep into all of this football stuff, and I can't play fantasy. Uh, so I need them. I'm going to definitely subscribe and listen, and you should too. Go check them out. All right, so for the rest of the show, I'm just going to kind of rattle off some of the individual performances that I thought were important one way or another. Uh, I want to start with Mike Boone. Um, Mike Boone just looked very good. He had the one really big run, or I think it was a, a reception, the, the really big gain. Uh, mostly the run game really struggled throughout the whole night, no matter what team was playing. Uh, and, it, and it wasn't a matter of, of like, messed up execution it was just a matter of like not winning your blocks which is like both easier and harder to fix at the same time like it's very nice that people aren't like going the wrong way or blocking the wrong guy or making big mistakes and mental errors which was you know was a, a huge problem all throughout 2018 uh but you know guys just lost their blocks all the time you know elfline just lost a bunch of blocks bradbury lost a couple uh storm norton i think got absolutely destroyed on a botched screen which saying it out loud the screen game was a real problem and i if i remember it wasn't very good in the new orleans game either so maybe they've got to work on their screen game a little bit more but I thought that Boone himself given the opportunities that he had and sometimes he just had nowhere to run or there's no hole and you can never really put that on the running back uh, but when he did have holes I mean he was very elusive I thought he did a really good job I can kind of tell he's learning from Dalvin Cook a little bit he's doing that that directional manipulation that that Dalvin Cook is so good kind of you know, drawing the linebacker to drift to one side of a block and then cutting to the other side of the block to make it the, the blocker's job easier. That's the kind of thing that, that uh, you know, that savvy running that makes Dalvin Cook so valuable, at least for a running back. But I thought, you know, Mike Boone had a really, really nice day. And he had a good day on special teams as well. Really, really difficult time for Amir Abdullah, who didn't play. And while he's sitting on the sidelines watching his competitor thrive, like he's losing ground in that battle. Not to mention, Jeff Baddett actually looked like a pretty good kick returner as well. Now, kick returning is a really tough thing, and only one kick return, I think, even got past the 25, maybe two. Uh, but Jeff Baddett looked like, you know, a guy that that can find a lane and hit it and, and use that insane speed of his. He's He made himself a case for the roster, and he also did a reasonable job uh, as a wide receiver, and it seems like he did an okay job as a punt gunner as well. So a, a pretty good night for both of Amir Abdullah's competitors, which is a really rough time for him. 
I thought uh, this is a weird one to call out, but I thought Richard Cliet actually managed to separate himself a little bit in that linebacker battle. And that linebacker battle, which got real interesting all of a sudden, uh, partially just because Mike Zimmer mentioned it and said maybe we keep seven, essentially insinuating I'm really happy with a lot of these guys, but also it's just the way that it's shaped up. There's kind of five people vying for two or three spots. Uh, Richard Cliet had a really nice day. I thought Kentrell Brothers had a nice day. Uh, but could have had an ex- an extraordinary day, and it just slipped through his fingers, and that's really disappointing. Um, and I thought Cameron Smith really only had one disruption, and it was the missed tackle against Paxton Lynch. But what really made Kliet's night special is that he made a couple of pretty good plays like on like standard defense, but he also had a really, really great kickoff coverage rep, and that's going to be how he makes this team, because special teams is going to be so important for those deep reserve linebackers, you know, those guys that are very very unlikely to ever see the field as linebackers. They have to find some value elsewhere and and displaying value on special teams. Like that is the key. That's going to get him on this roster. So I'm actually kind of thinking about like putting Richard Cliet in a roster prediction as a guy who makes the team. He's just having a really good preseason and camp process. And that would be a really big surprise. I would not have seen that coming. I also want to bring up Kyle Sloter. Kyle Sloter had another really nice crispy day Uh, He really looked good in the preseason. It seems like after that preseason game last week, he had a much better week in the final week of training camp. He had struggled a lot throughout the beginning of training camp, and it seems like now he's warmed up and he's figured it out, and now he's like in super like preseason god mode. And that's what he's going to have to do, because remember, Sean Mannion has that whiteboard prowess, that thing where he can actually offer something of substance uh, you know, week to week when he's not necessarily playing on the field, but he can still like improve the on-field product, whereas Kyle Slater can't offer that. He doesn't have as much experience. So he'll have to outplay Mannion by that much more. But I think that he played well enough to give him that chance. I, I think it's time. Put Kyle Slaughter with the twos. I think I asked for this last year, too, and he didn't beat out Trevor Simeon. Uh, put Kyle Slaughter with the twos. Let's see what he does against somebody's, you know, backups instead of the guys that won't make the team. Because obviously you're always going to have that caveat of like, well, he only did it against everybody else's third teamers, which is kind of weak because like he's also using third teamers, like he's throwing to people that also won't make the team. But I thought he looked really, really nice uh, throughout the game. Speaking of people who are catching passes and won't make the team, Laquan Treadwell uh, kind of broke out. He had a, a really big drive and it afterwards uh, Zimmer was asked about it and said, yeah, we're showcasing him, which I think is kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, Laquan Treadwell caught like four passes on one big drive. He got a ton of separation, but again, he got reps with like all of the units and the fact that he wasn't actually showcasing his abilities until he was up against fourth quarter preseason game competition is kind of telling. And it also seems like they were actually forcing snaps to him and forcing targets to him to showcase him. Uh, and, and that kind of lends itself to the trade block rumors and stuff that, you know, Mike Zimmer has like, to- or Rick Spielman has totally denied, but I definitely don't believe him. Uh, I, I also think that they're trying to like drum up a little bit of value for him. See if somebody will, will spend a seventh. There was an article in the Daily Norseman talking about how like Giants media is talking about this now and they're speculating like, oh, Pat Shermer knows him and he can probably be had for cheap. And that's true. He can totally be had for a firm handshake and a, and a promise. But I think anybody watching the tape of him will be able to evaluate and kind of figure out that he's probably not worth it. I still think he just gets cut at the end, and hopefully this serves as a good audition for his next chapter. I should also probably talk about Holton Hill, who kind of stole the spotlight of the fourth quarter by uh, putting out a just vicious helmet-to-helmet hit on Paxton Lynch. Paxton Lynch was scrambling, and he slid, and, and Holton Hill didn't pull up in time, and just speared 
Paxton Lynch to the helmet. And and I do want to spend a little time and talk about this because this was a really, really bad hit. I mean, this was it was a flagrant foul. He was rightfully ejected from the game. I wouldn't even be surprised to see him get an, another game tacked onto his uh, growing bar tab of suspensions because this one was egregious and just god-awful. So a couple of people actually were standing up for the hit and saying that, you know, Paxton Lynch slid late, and so it's not really Holton Hill's fault. Uh, I kind of disagree with that, because you see guys slide later than that, and other players can pull up, and I don't see why Holton Hill can't. And Holton Hill did react to it. He lowered his helmet, uh, trying to make sure that he got a hit on the quarterback. He, he did like have time to react and take an action. That action just wasn't the action that is the one you're supposed to do by the rules. Uh, it seemed like he was just trying to light the quarterback up. I, and I think that if you just watch his body and the way that he controls it, watch it live and watch it in slow-mo, but mostly watch it live, he was trying to spear the guy. He, I mean, he was just trying to light him up, and he did light him up, and that's why he got ejected from the game. And it really sucks because he was like very clearly the best corner on the field, uh, he was matched up with Jazz Ferguson, the undrafted free agent that's actually kind of getting a little bit of buzz in Seattle, and he was absolutely just crushing Jazz Ferguson. Ferguson, he was stuck to him like glue, and, and like you could tell, like this guy, he's a good cornerback. He he's good at football. He's just such a bonehead that y- you worry if he's ever going to be able to get on the field and follow the dang rules of the game. It's just so frustrating to watch that much talent just get wasted away because the guy just happens to be a huge idiot. But all of these idiotic incidents aside, the Vikings still can't really afford to cut him because they don't have enough corners. Chris Boyd, again, didn't play. Uh, There's a little bit of uh, speculation as to why he was active. He practiced. So it's like doesn't look like it was a health thing, though maybe they were just being cautious like they were with Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook didn't play. They've got him on the bubble wrap plan, as I think it was Tom Pelissero said. So maybe it's that for Boyd. Maybe he's lower on the depth chart than Craig James and Duke Thomas, which would be uh, very concerning because he's drafted and Duke Thomas is god-awful and bad in every game. Definitely an interesting case to watch there because I thought, I mean, the the times that we saw him in practice, he definitely didn't look like the worst corner out there. So maybe there's some doghousing going on or some weird coaching strategy, or maybe he's just a little banged up and they didn't want to risk him on the new turf. Personally, I think the latter is the most likely option, but what do I know? There's a whole bunch of other stuff that I just won't have time to get to. I'm going to do my rewatch uh, and and kind of do that episode tomorrow so that we can really get into the stuff that is actually going to materially affect the way this roster shapes up. Uh, but before I go, I do want to mention special teams a little bit. Kari Vedvik was dressed and he participated all three of the weird specialists did stuff. Matt Weil punted, Dan Bailey kicked, Kari Vedvik did both. Uh, so it's definitely a weird situation, and it seems like Kari Vedvik is in a competition with both Weil and Bailey, and I've never seen that before, and I don't know if I'll ever see it again, so let's enjoy this weird competition. Uh, elsewhere in special teams, though, the kickoff coverage units struggled again. I think they let, like, two or three more kickoffs go past the 25, which is, I think, the parameter for success or failure, because, like, were you better than a touchback? Um, and that's really concerning, but the thing about kickoff units in the preseason, and this kind of happened last year too, is that like the culprits, the people making those mistakes are going to get cut for it. They're special teamers in the preseason. And if you screw up special teams in the preseason and you're on the roster bubble, which you probably are because you're playing special teams in the preseason, you're going to get cut for it. And then only the good special teamers are left. And usually the kickoff coverage units will improve a lot over, uh, the the course of the regular season this happens for every team too it's not like it's something unique to the vikings so it's not something that i'm gonna like fret over too much uh definitely more interested in the specialists 
Kari Vedvik, I believe, outpunted Matt Weil. Matt Weil only had like one punt. It was like a 35-yarder, but I think it was it had reasonable hang time. Kari Vedvik boomed him a little deeper, but with less hang time. I, I, PFF will have like actual stats on this, so I could be totally wrong. This is just like my impression from side eyeing it while I was at work. And everyone made all of their kicks with Chad Beebe holding, which is fascinating. There was only one true field goal, and it was a chip shot. There was a bunch of extra points too. They also went for a two-point conversion uh, late in the game, which is a very interesting thing because the way that Mike Zimmer always approaches preseason games, this is why Mike Zimmer always wins preseason games, is because he makes in-game decisions based on like what he would do if it were a regular season game. Like he treats them as games he wants to win, not like playgrounds with which to experiment, which has its drawbacks too. But what it means is that it gives us an insight into his coaching world and decision making. So you're up seven and you can either take the extra point to go up eight or the two point conversion to go up nine and make it two scores. Analytics says go up nine. Because if you don't get it, you're still up a touchdown. And if you do get it, you're up two scores. And that's being up two scores is such a big advantage that it outweighs the risk of, you know, making it so that they don't need to do a two-point conversion to, like, tie you. And so, I don't know, as a nerd, uh, I hope that this is actually a precursor of the way that Mike Zimmer would handle such a situation in a real game. I agree with the decision, and they did end up getting it, which makes it look a little better, too. So yet another thing to watch out for. So I'm way out of time, so I'm going to sign off for today's episode of Locked on Vikings. This has been the Viking Seahawks recap. We'll go into a little bit better detail, and I'll be able to confirm or deny some of the stuff that I was like guessing about tonight. Like The game like literally just ended, so there's some stuff I just haven't had time to go back and look at more closely. And I want to do that for you, so we'll talk about that tomorrow. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. You can always find this show anywhere you find your favorite shows. Uh, and if you don't like any of those services, you can always ask your smart device to play podcast Locked On Vikings. You won't have to lift a finger. I'll see you guys all tomorrow. And as always, skull.